One of my, I wasn't much of a school person growing up. Some people are into school. I was never really into school. Can any of you relate to me? You were never really into school. It just, it's not my makeup. I just was never into school. But one of my good memories of school was in science class when we got to dissect animals. That was fun. Kind of gross, but it was kind of fun too. Do you remember doing that? How many of you remember dissecting animals in school? Okay, right. Do you remember what you would cut open? I remember the things we would cut open. I remember the dumbest thing we would cut open was an earthworm. Did any of you dissect an earthworm? I was like, what do you learn from that? You slice it open. Okay, earthworms are made of brown goo, right? I mean, what? There was, there's nothing to see. It was just brown. I don't, never understood why we dissected worms, but I remember doing that. What was by far the most popular and common animal to dissect? What was it? Anybody know? Frog, exactly. Probably many people in this room have dissected a frog before. Less common, but I remember seeing it happen in my school. I didn't get to actually do it, but there was also opportunities where um, kids dissected baby pigs, and I remember even cats were being dissected. But frogs was the... (laughs) Were you clapping about dissecting cats? Is that what you were saying? Okay. I have a therapist I can recommend, okay? (laughs) Okay. All right. Anyway, I remember one thing we learned as freshman boys in our biology class is that if you dissected a frog's eye, inside a frog's eye, I don't know what part of the eye it was, but it was a tiny black BB. It was like a hard black BB. And I can remember we would, am I being too gross here? We We would gouge those out of the frog's eye socket and then throw them at each other. And so we had like little frog BB eyeballs flying across the room. I remember that was kind of fun, you know, but what do you expect, freshman boys, right? In that anatomy class, in that biology class, uh, it was kind of cool because when you dissected something, you could see what it was like on the inside. You'd learn more about it and the nature of that animal and how how it was uh, constructed uh, by God. I believe. And so here's the deal. This week and next week, we're doing just a quick, short, two-week sermon series called Anatomy. And I want us to dissect Arlington Countryside Church. I want to take two weeks to go underneath the surface, to examine the inner workings, to examine the inner structures, to understand who we are are as a church. And so that's what we're doing today and next week. Now, why are we doing this? Why are we taking time to study the anatomy of ACC? There's a few reasons why. I'm going to lay all my cards on the table, and I'm going to be super honest with you. One of the primary reasons why I'm doing this is because I hope this series will motivate you to love ACC. I want you to love your church. I think it's good to love your church. I think it's important to love your church. And I want you to love ACC. And if you already love ACC, I want you to love ACC more, okay? And so I'm being honest with you. That's just an open motive of of what I hope happens in the next couple of weeks. The other reason why we're doing this is because I want to assure you, I want to convince you that ACC is worth the investment of your time and your energy and your money. 
that when you invest yourself in this church, that is a good investment. I want you to be convinced of that. You know, to be part of, and to be active in a local church is a sacred thing. I really believe that. I think it's a life-changing thing. And the church isn't perfect. ACC is not perfect, man. There's, there's things we don't do very well. There's things that maybe we technically should be doing, but we're not doing at all, right? And, and we have inadequacies for sure. But the truth is, we are a church made up of imperfect people. I'm imperfect. You're imperfect. We come together, and that means we have imperfect, broken people trying to get to know God better and trying to grow in our faith. But no church is perfect. I remember my spiritual mentor always used to tell people, he always used to say, hey, if you find a perfect church, make sure you don't join it because you'll ruin it. (laughs) I think there's some wisdom with that advice, don't you think? And so if you're waiting until ACC is perfect to love her, you're going to be waiting a long time. Isn't that something you learn in marriage? Isn't that true? That if you wait until your spouse is perfect to start loving them, ooh, you're going to be waiting a while, right? My wife loves me, but she knows me better than anybody, and she loves me anyway. And you know what? That's the way it's supposed to be. It's the only way it can work. And as it's believers, you and I, Christians, loving the church, loving ACC, we love that church even though it's not perfect. ACC is the bride of Christ. And Jesus is madly in love with his bride. And you know what? What that tells me is if Jesus loves the church, I would do well to love the church as well. And I hope that's part of what happens. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to start out by talking about what Christ desires for you, what Christ wants to give you, but what Christ wants to give virtually every person you know. This is the heart of Christ for the church. Check it out. It's John 10, verse 10. This is the voice of Christ when he says, My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Doesn't that sound good? A rich and satisfying life? I see that and I think to myself, yeah, I think that's what we all strive for. I think that's what we hope for. I think that's what we pray for, that our lives would be characterized by just a richness, a a satisfaction to it where we're content, we're fulfilled, we're centered, we feel like we've found it, we're, we're in our niche, you know, that rich and satisfying life. But what exactly did Jesus mean when he talked about a rich and satisfying life? Now, many, not all, TV preachers would have an answer for that, right? And they would say a rich and satisfying life is that you're rich, and that you have a big house and a nice car and nice clothes and plenty of money in your checking account and you'll always be healthy, you'll never be sick and so on and so on and so on. It's about success, it's about prosperity, right? And that's the rich and satisfying life that Jesus is talking about. It sounds great. And I gotta be honest, I wish it was true. 
Problem is the Bible doesn't teach that. God nowhere even came close to, to implying that that's what he wanted to bring to us. What he wants to bring to us goes far beyond that. The rich and satisfying life that Jesus is talking about, that he wants to give you, begins with eternal life. It begins with the forgiveness of your sins that allows you to not be punished, to not experience the cost of your sin, but instead to experience mercy and grace and to have eternal life. And that eternal life, that forgiveness, brings you into a personal relationship with Christ. It brings you into a personal connection with God. And so now you have a heavenly perspective. Your life changes. You don't view the world the way you used to because you have a godly, heavenly perspective now. And so you begin to grow in your faith. And what you develop is an actual relationship with God where you walk with him on a daily basis. You talk with him. You know him as a friend. And as that develops, you begin to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life. That's the sermon series we just wrapped up, where as you're growing in your faith, you're becoming more loving and more joyful, and you have more peace, and you're experiencing kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, and you're becoming more like Jesus, and your life is completely changed. That's the rich and satisfying life that Jesus is talking about that he wants for each one of us. He wants that for you, and when you find that in ever-increasing measure, you have a sense of satisfaction and centeredness and fulfillment that you can't find in any other way. Do you have that rich and satisfying life? Are you moving in the right direction? Do you desire that life? I think you probably do. Here's my basic premise this morning, all right? My basic premise this morning is this, that the church is the delivering, delivery system for that rich and satisfying life that Christ wants to give you. See, this isn't going to be an Amazon white van that brings this to your door, all right? The delivery system for the rich and satisfying life that Jesus wants to give you, there's only one delivery system. There's only one delivery company. It's the church. That's the will of God. And so here's what I want you to see, that the church, and specifically ACC, is a display or a manifestation of God's life-giving power. That rich and satisfying life, the power God has to infuse that in you, is going to come to you and bless you through the church. And I want you to see three areas where God is going to completely give you this new life in Christ and the experience you'll receive. The first thing you're going to see is this, that God is about the business of reversing the curse. And that's God's will for our community. That's God's will for our country, for our world, but for your individual life as well, that God is going to be about the business of reversing the curse. In creation, you read in Genesis, and you don't have to read long before you read about the fall of the human race, where in Genesis chapter 3, because of disobedience and rebellion, sin entered into the world, and once that happened, there was a curse. And all of the world, all of creation, no longer functioned as it was designed. And instead, it's under a curse. And now, there's brokenness. There's pain. There's heartache. 
There's hatred. There's animosity. There's just all kinds of dysfunction that was never part of God's original design. And my friends, that's the impact of sin in our world. And so you see, the impact of sin isn't just like you and I on an individual level when we do specific acts of sin, like we're mean to each other or we rip off each other. But it's that sin principle that sin is just... uh, totally ravaged our world and it's not the same and it's why innocent people die it's why there's wars that just wipe out entire groups of people it's why natural disasters just take out hundreds of people at a time it's why there's so much hatred and racism and so much ugliness it's all because of the curse and we're experiencing the natural byproduct of lives that are lived independent of God that's really what you're looking at and so it's God's will to reverse that curse in Christ that's what he's about the business of doing and the church is the first fruits of what God's going to do in the future you see there's a future There's an eschatological event where Christ is going to come back, where all of human history is going to be consummated, and where God's going to set everything straight. And God's going to totally reverse the curse and make everything new. But what he's going to do on a macro level, at a specific point sometime in the future, God's going to do on a micro level here and now, in this church, in your lives. I want you to see the macro level plans God has in Revelation chapter 21. Look what it says. This is the vision. And what you see here is a future event that will take place, but it's happening now on a micro level in the church and in our lives. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. Scripture tells us it's all going to burn. That one day it's all going burn and so the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone now that's a strange phrase isn't it it's like why was that included what does that mean it's strange until you understand that in biblical times the sea the open sea was synonymous with chaos and uncertainty and danger Because it was so vast, it was so wild, it was so uncharted. And so by the revelator specifically acknowledging the sea is gone, what he's saying is the chaos and uncertainty and danger that characterizes our lives in the here and now, one day it's going to be gone. It's not going to exist anymore. And so he goes on and says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Friends, that should excite you. That the day is going to come where all the pain, all the sorrow, all the death is going to vanish. God's going to reverse the curse. And we'll be back like in the Garden of Eden. 
Now, while that's an event we look forward to, understand you can't, you don't have to wait until then to experience it now in a certain measure. That God wants to reverse the curse in your family and in your marriage and in your relationships and in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 speaks of this. You know the verse? Check it out. <clears throat> this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And so the personal effects of sin in our life are rolled backwards. This reversal is seen when we move from being lovers of self to being lovers of God. When we move from being selfish and self-centered to being generous and kind. When we go from holding grudges and being embittered to being forgiving and reconciling. It's in change like that in our lives that the curse is reversed. And that's God's will for each of us. I know many of you can testify to this. The change you've seen as you've come to know Christ and the way you've seen him bit by bit change you as a person from the inside out. And that's what God wants to do in reversing the curse. Now, here's the second thing that God wants to do through ACC. He wants to be about establishing his rule. That he wants to expand his reign through us. Luke chapter 17. This is an interesting conversation that Jesus had. And I want to pick it up at verse 20 so we have the context for verse 21. It says, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, The kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. What does it mean, the kingdom of God? Why did the Pharisees ask Jesus about the kingdom of God? The kingdom equals, the kingdom of God equals the reign of God, the control of God. If a king has a kingdom, what do you know to be true? That that's the guy who's large and in charge. And so what the Pharisees are asking is, hey, when is God going to make his power move? supposedly you're the messiah supposedly you're the one who's going to do this but when are you making your power move when when is god's reign when is god's rule going to be seen and specifically what they had in mind was when are you going to get these romans off our backs because israel was being occupied militarily by the romans and they were heavily taxed and they were being suppressed and they're like when are you going to get the romans off our back that's really what they were asking when they were saying hey when's the kingdom going to come And Jesus had to correct them and say, I'm not about that. I'm not about military action. I'm not about political squabbling or political parties. It's not my thing. It's not why I've come. And then he uses a phrase. He says, for the kingdom of God is among you. 
And it's interesting because in the original language used here, there's a little bit of uh, fuzziness and different translators, like different versions of the Bible, translate those words slightly different. Like some versions of the Bible say, (coughs) excuse me, say that the kingdom of God is already among you. Others say that the kingdom of God is within you. Others say that the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. But here's what Jesus was communicating. First of all, what I think Jesus was telling the Pharisees is the kingdom of God is right in front of you. Duh, I'm right here. You're asking about when is the kingdom of God to come? The kingdom of God is standing right in front of you. I'm the one with the authority. I'm the one with the power. I'm the one who's going to reign. It's right in front of you. But I think it goes beyond that. And what he's saying is the kingdom of God is so subversive. You've got to understand you're never going to see it reflected in a political election. You're never going to see it reflected in a military move to push the boundaries of one country on the behalf of another country. What he was saying was the kingdom of God is in the hearts of men and women who love me. That my purpose is to rule, to reign, to control hearts. Your heart. It's all I'm interested in. That's God's aim for each one of us. That we would love him, that we would give him our lives, and that the kingdom of God would be within us. His reign, his rule, beginning with you. And the church is about establishing his rule in your lives. Inspiring you, motivating you, discipling you, bringing you into an environment where you can increasingly see God's control, God's reign in your life. And then truly, the kingdom of God is within you. And that's one of the purposes of the church. And so king of kings, his kingdom is you. It's your heart. Lastly, I want you to see this. The final thing that God wants to do through the church is to make all things new. Again, it's a future event. You can read about it in Revelation, but it's also the here and now. And in making all things new, I think the idea here is it's a fresh start. It's a do-over. A golfer would call it a what? A mulligan. You know what a mulligan is? I used to golf. And every time I golfed, I would lose my Christianity. So I stopped golfing, okay? Because I was horrible and I would lose my temper. And all golf did was ruin a nice walk. And so I quit (laughs) golfing, okay? But I remember in golfing, a mulligan was when you would hit a bad tee shot. It was just a horrible. It would slice off or, you know, go three feet, dribble three feet in front of the tee. And you'd say, I'll take a mulligan. And that means you got to take another shot without penalty. You got to put it back on the tee and take another crack at it, right? That's the idea here, that it's God's purpose to give you a fresh start, that you get a do-over, that you get to take a mulligan with your life and say, oh, let's pull it back. Let's start over. That's what God wants to do for everyone you know. And so it's not just salvation. It's not just escaping from hell, but it's a renewal and a transformation in our lives now. Check out Ephesians 2 verse 10. Look at the promise here. Look at the hope that's here in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Those of us who are followers of Christ, God views you as a masterpiece. And the word masterpiece is used there is where we get our English word poem. And so it says, you're God's poem. 
His creativity is seen in you. His inspiration is seen in you. And so each one of us who know Christ are like God's poem, God's masterpiece. And it says he's created us anew. It's a mulligan. It's a fresh start in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And so when you become a follower of Christ, when he makes you new, he gives you a purpose in life. He desires to use you to advance his kingdom. He desires to use you to be a blessing to others. And folks, this is gut check time because you got to ask yourself, am I engaged in what God wants me to be doing in this world? Am I making a difference? Am I letting him love through me? Am I letting him give to others through me? What am I doing with my life? Because you see, it's God's will for you to accomplish the things he's prescribed for your life in eternity past. That's what he desires. One of the most simple, basic ways as a church that we communicate how God wants to use you is with our BLESS acronym. And I hope this is something you've got memorized. But we say, hey, go into your workplace, go into your school, go into your neighborhood, go into your family and bless. And it's so simple. It's so basic. It begins with prayer. Just start praying for people that God has placed in your life. Just start praying for them. That God would begin drawing them to himself. That God would begin working in their life. That God would start helping them understand their need for a savior. And then as you engage them and develop a relationship with them, listen to them. Don't lecture them. Listen to them. Hear their story. Find out where they're coming from. Show them the respect of being a good listener. And then as you do that, develop a friendship. Break bread together. Eat. There's something powerful about sharing a meal or a cup of coffee with another person. And so seek to do something real tangible by sharing meals, eating together. And then look for opportunities to serve. When you see a need, be there to step up and meet that need in the person's life, be it ever so small, but you seek to serve with love. And then you've earned the right to be heard. And then you'll have the opportunity in a very organic, natural way, share your story and talk about the difference God has made in your life. Talk about how God is working in your life right now. Talking about what Jesus means to you. Talking about how important your church is to you. That as you've been praying and listening and eating and serving, then you get to talk. Then you get to share. What do most of us do? We want to talk and share first, right? Skip everything else and, you know, Throw Jesus on him. That's what we're looking to do. That's what God wants to do through you. And so it leads us to who we are as a church and what we want to be as a church in light of the fact that God wants to give a rich and satisfying life to you and to virtually everyone you know. I'd like to share with you our mission statement as a church. This is why ACC exists. And this is a revamped mission statement that our leadership team just recently completed. And it's giving us like a, a renewed vision of who we are and who we want to be. And here, simply stated, is our mission statement. We want to be all about leading people to experience new life in Jesus Christ. 
That's all we want to be about. That's what we want to be focused on, is leading people to experience new life in Jesus Christ. So what that means is there's always life. There's always more richness and more satisfaction to be found. So wherever you're at on the spiritual spectrum, we want to come alongside of you and motivate you and encourage you and bring you along to experience new life in Jesus. See, we've got people way over here. We've got people who regularly attend our church who will honestly say, I'm not a Christian. I'm not sure I want to be one. But interestingly enough, they attend all the time. Why? Because they like the people? Because they like the environment? Because they feel accepted? And even though they don't claim to be a believer, they're here all the time. I love that. I'm so glad they feel safe here, and we want to love them. And I'm going to be honest and say, I hope eventually we'll love them right into the kingdom, right? and their heart will be open to God's word. But in the meantime, we're going to love them anyway. But you see, we want to take a person who's on that far end of the spectrum and lead them towards the rich and satisfying life that God gives them. And then on the far other end of the spectrum here at ACC, we have people who have faithfully lived for Christ for decades. For decades. And guess what? They're not finished. They're not through. There's more richness and more satisfaction than we found in Christ. And so we're going to encourage them to keep moving up and to the right and everybody in between. And you know what this leading is? This leading people to experience new life in Christ. It's not a leading like, I'm smart, you're stupid, listen to me. It's not, I'm enlightened, you're an ignoramus, let me show you how to do it, right? That's not the kind of leading we're talking about. The kind of leading we're talking about is one destitute person who's found the free food pantry and comes up alongside other destitute broken people and say, hey, Have I got good news for you? Check this out. And you take them to what you've just discovered. Friends, that's the kind of leading we're talking about. It's a humbled leading. It's a leading that grows out of compassion because you want others to have what you have. And you know it's the truth. And that's the kind of leading. We want to be proactive. We want to take the initiative. We want to see results in people's lives. We want to see them come to know Christ and begin growing in their faith. And that's the new life we want to share. So how are we going to do this? What is our strategy for actually being able to pull that off? Because see, it's one thing to say it, but how do you do it? That's what we're going to talk about next week. All right? So I encourage you to be back next week, and we're going to continue to dissect ACC, and we're going to talk about how we're going to accomplish our mission and how you can be a part of it, okay? Well, God's using ACC. He'll continue to use ACC to reverse the curse, to establish his rule, and to make all things new. And my hope and prayer for you is that you'll be part of the action.